Michelle Rios is a sought-after speaker, podcaster, mentor, and a soon-to-be author. After more than a 25-year award-winning career as a communications leader and corporate executive, she took a leap of faith and followed her heart to pursue her call to inspire others to step into their authenticity and become what they've always been meant to be and to live the most extraordinary versions of themselves. Wow, so beautiful, so lovely. So today we are going to be entering into what I know is a very important topic for all of us, and it's about looking at the prologue to our own story. So today, Michelle is gonna share the prologue of her story prior to kids. And wherever you're at in life, whether you have kids, whether you're an empty nester, all of these stages, we all need to look at the prologues of our story so we can find out why we're doing what we're doing, right? What's really driving us? What are the programs that have been programmed in that maybe currently are not serving us? So please join me in this conversation with Michelle. I grew up um, in rural Maine. I live in Washington, D.C. now. I'm in Northern Virginia, right outside of the city. But I grew up in rural Maine and I, I was born to teenage parents. And my mom was 16 and my dad was 18. And I will say... Um, my parents shockingly are still married, uh, but it was incredibly um, an insecure environment for a child because I was being raised by kids. Mm. And so while they did the best they could and they were, you know, they were really good parents with good hearts and a good work ethic, they didn't know but what they, they were doing. They were kids. And I would say some of the things that I, adopted as sort of my mindset were really hard to extricate myself from. So I'll give you an example. As the first of three children, my father um, and mother, rightly or wrongly, wanted to make sure I understood there was no safety net. <laughs> so I grew up with this pervasive insecurity of like, there's no safety net, like I have to succeed mm -hmm. at all costs. And I had to be, you know, blaze the trail. Um, you know, I, you have to be the pioneer and, and do great things. You're the first, you're, you're all our hopes are on you. So imagine like I was hearing these at five, six, seven, all the way up. Like if you had asked me at five, what I wanted to be when I grew up, I said, a college graduate. I didn't even know what a college graduate was at five, but I had heard it over and over and over again because I was gonna be the first. Mm -hmm. So there was all this pressure and I took it to probably the nth degree just because that's how my DNA was. So I went through my early life just with this sense of I have to win. I have to win, I have to be number one, I have to get scholarships, I have to get straight A's. These are, my, these are my only options. I live in a rural community. My parents, you know, are very working class at best. There's not going to be resources for me and I have to help my siblings. So I didn't, no one ever asked me, what do you want? What do you like? What do you care about? Like, and that was also not the, it wasn't the generation, right? Like this is a very different conversation we're having with our yes. children and our you know grandchildren today but it wasn't the way parenting happened back then so i don't think it's all that unique in that sense but for me it was just i was super driven because for me it was survival in my mind it was like well no one's going to come to my rescue and 
I don't have anybody to advocate for me. My parents are going to be supportive emotionally, but like they've never done any of this. So I was just in this go win, win at all cost, you know, and I, I studied my brains out, was always kind of on the brink of a nervous breakdown. I remember my high school teachers, even now, some of them that are, you know, retired and all that would say, oh my God, it's so good to see you doing well. Because when you were in the 10th grade, we were just like, this kid is on the brink of a collapse because she just has so much on her shoulders. And I said, really? I didn't hide it well? And they were like, no. <laughs> Where exhausted. were you in high school? Where I went to... I, I was uh, up in Maine. I grew up in a small town called Oakland, Maine. And uh, funny enough, one of the other women in our program named Darcy Corcoran went to my high school. I did not know her, but I went to school with her brother because she's younger than I am. And uh, it's a tiny little town, you know, maybe 8,000 people. Might have been 6,000 back then. And everybody's parent worked at the mill and the paper mill or didn't work <laughs> and you had to stay home moms and my mom was finishing her ged when i was a toddler so i went to school with her so there's all of this for me it was my parents said there's nothing here for you you need to leave so i grew up knowing i had to leave my state i didn't quite know why but, but that was the mindset so i mm -hmm. pursued scholarships i got a scholarship to go to college i got two scholarships to go to graduate school I had full tuition all the way and, and I was always this achievement, Phi Beta Kappa and head of my class and valedictorian, all of this stuff. And then it kind of, I lived overseas um, studying there and I was doing all the stuff that was interesting to me, but it was also because it seemed the most attainable. So I was it's interested. Huh? Yeah. And it was just sort of like, well, my parents were like, you should go to law school because, you know, I was very articulate as a young person. And I was like, all right, so I should go to law school. And I, the thought of that made me really sad. I didn't really like the idea of law school. It was very creative. So I said, well, I'll do international law. I don't even know what that was. So I said, but I want to study overseas so I can learn another language, so I can do international law, whatever that means. And so I was on this track, go, 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 study, study, study. And then I had siblings behind me doing the same thing. And I came back to Washington. I had come here right after college because I was recruited to work for a consulting firm. And then I went overseas. I'd won a Rotary Ambassadorial Scholarship for graduate school. And I came back. My previous employer had held the job for me because, you know, I was one of these, like, you never give up a job before you have another job mindset. And I was pervasively looking for security. The only thing I knew is I didn't have financial security and I had to build financial security and stability. So that was the name of the game for me. And I was willing to give up going out. I was willing to save the money when everyone else was spending. I didn't go on trips. I didn't go on vacations. Mm. I lived by myself in the city for many years. I didn't have any family here. I came here because I got, I got a job offer while still in college. So that was like, and it wasn't heard of. When I was graduating in the early 90s, it was a recession. So nobody was getting jobs. So I was like blessed to have a job. So I came to this. You know, I would I talk about the day I was on a bus. I had a little bit of time before going back to this job and I got on a bus, which is a 30 bus that kind of goes through um, Northwest Washington, DC, through Georgetown, through the city and back. And I remember going, I was so depressed and so sad and I couldn't understand exactly why other than on paper, my life looked great. And you were still single then? I was still single. 
I wasn't married yet. I was still single. Um, had a ton of friends, had made something out of nothing. I knew no one here. I built this whole foundation out of nothing. I was always on the go, but I was really lonely and I had no idea who I was. Mm. No one had ever asked me what I liked or wanted. And so I just felt this pervasive sense of what am I doing with my life? And am I even, is that something <laughs> I've ever worked for really even have any meaning for me? And so I'm on this bus and everybody had gotten off the bus. I'm still on the bus doing the loop because I didn't know. I I literally was at the end of my rope of like, as good as all this looks on paper, I am so consumed with unhappiness Mm. that I don't know if I want to keep going. And it was how old were you? I was in my mid twenties. And, you know, if if anybody had asked me, they'd be like, oh, Michelle, back then, Corrigan, Michelle Kirk, oh, she's got it all together. She's so put together and she's going to do great things. And, oh, she's so nice and popular and all this. I was the most insecure, scared kid on the planet. And it would have taken a feather to knock me over. And I remember going, I mean, tears coming. I remember the bus driver getting off. (laughs) Not yet you know, okay. So we kept going. He was like, she's been on this for at least two loops. Maybe she's going to go for a third. And I just remember going, okay, God, I surrender. Cause I don't know where you want me. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, but I know I'm feeling so utterly lost and I don't feel connected or aligned with anything that I have done. And in that moment, Jackie, I looked up, I'm on this bus leaning against the window, tears streaming down my face. And the sign said community health center, mental health center. And I pulled the cord and said, I got to get off. Mm. And I just marched myself down and sat down. I'd never been in uh, a clinic for mental health. And, you know, we didn't really talk about mental health 30 years ago, the way we do today. Um, I was a little embarrassed. Like, will anybody recognize me? Is anyone here I know? But I knew I needed help. And that was the beginning of the change. It took a long time. It wasn't like the only change. It was still hard to extricate a lot of those belief systems that had been ingrained in me, but it was the beginning. It was the beginning of chipping away at the ice of like, you know, I remember the therapist sitting across me going, well, why do you think that you have to go to law school? And I was like, well, because it's expected. And they're like, but if you don't want to do it, don't do it. And I was like, but I don't know what else to do. I'm like, well, what do you like? I'm like, I don't know. No one ever asked me. And I don't know. I've never spent any time asking myself that. I mean, I like different things enough, but I don't feel aligned with any of it. And she said, well, you have a really pretty good handle on it. What, what I said, I want to be a mom. And she said, well, why are we not focused on being a mom? I'm like, probably because my parents had kids 16 and 18. And the last thing they wanted for me is to become a mom really young. In fact, I remember them saying, go to school, start your career, go to graduate school, education, 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 achieve, travel. Mm -hmm. And I did all of those things. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be a mom. But it didn't seem like a very acceptable choice at 25 or 26 and I ended up not getting married until my early 30s and I didn't have my son until 35 almost 36 so I was part of the geriatric pregnancy crowd um and and I will tell you the impact it had is I had one my sister had one 
My brother reluctantly had two in his 40s. So to say that the mindsets of our, you know, our parents are phenomenal people. We're very close with them. We still have really good relationships with them, but we've all grown up together. And the impact of those early days on the decisions we've made in our life has been tremendous. Now, the good side of that is, uh, you know, I have been able to say, wow, this is what I don't want for my son. And this is how I want to do it differently. And I'm in an era where it's a lot more acceptable and permissible to talk about, hey, what do you want in your life? Mm-hmm. Don't chase dollars. You know, what do you love? Exactly. The things that nobody knew to ask me. Mm-hmm. Um, and my sister, funny enough, is a therapist. So the funny thing I became, yeah, so I didn't go to law school. I went to business school. And I also went to, I started international business and marketing. I ended up becoming a public relations executive and I, I run a big public relations agency, but my sister became the therapist and my brother was the lawyer. Wow. Huh. Funny huh. enough, I'm the happiest out of the three of us, then my sister and then my brother is a far third, but he probably has more money than both of us put together times 10. <laughs> so you know, it, it's different, but I, our kids are doing great. They're thriving. I have a phenomenal 15 and a half year old who, you know, we're not just, I was, I was doing an interview last night and he came in at the end. He said, you didn't talk about me. I started laughing. I was like, well, what's it about you today? And he sat down with me, he sat on my lap. So I have a six foot one you know, sophomore, I sat on my lap like a little kid again. I was like, oh, I missed you today. And how was practice? Because he's a soccer player. And he said, you didn't talk about me. And it was just, it, it just warmed my heart that like, just when you think they don't care and they're not paying attention, he was listening. And he was like, normally you talk about me at least once. That's great. And so I was like, yay, he still needs me. <laughs> wow. So anyway, uh, you know, that was kind of where I started and it made the whole the whole getting to where I am today, the challenge. And I will tell you, the funny thing that happened is that moment, that day in my mid twenties in Georgetown on that bus was the beginning of a long road of saying, wow, actually I need to figure this out for myself. I need to get off the autopilot. Mm -hmm. It's really gonna be hard because so many of these belief systems are so ingrained in me. Mm-hmm. And I was literally across the, you know, way from the woman who was a therapist saying she actually was a former AOL executive who became a therapist later in life. And oh. she said, so do something different, Michelle. You can do anything. You're smart. Your education behind you can do anything. And I was like, I don't feel like I can do anything. I feel like if I made less money than what I make, somehow my sense of security will dissipate and I might end up, you know, I literally would say I'll end up homeless on the street. And she was like, see, it makes sense. And I was like, it might not make sense to you, but that's the feeling I have. Mm-hmm. And my sister had the same one. My sister was the, the one he went and she became, first of all, a clinical social worker before she became a therapist. And she had no money. She was making like $16,000 a year. And my parents had to help her. And I remember going, that that idea of having to go back to my parents even though today i would tell my son what do you need mm-hmm. but that idea for me i was like oh no that's never happening for me and i remember going to her ask me for help don't go to them don't go to them remember what they always told us like no safety net i don't want them to think that we need them anymore because they would always compare like 
my dad was the youngest of eight. My mom was in the middle of five. How everybody else needed help, but not their kids. We were rugged, independent New Englanders. We pulled ourselves up by bootstraps and, you know, we were blazing new trails. Well, I will tell you, that really makes a 16-year-old, a six-year-old, a 16-year-old, and a 26-year-old pervasively insecure. And they didn't know. They didn't know. They thought they were making us independent. And I think in the long run, we are very independent. We are, we became it. But that way of becoming independent was like ripping off a Band-Aid very early and going poof, out into the world without any, without any net. And so you just didn't know emotionally, we were not ready. We were not mature enough to handle a lot of things that came. And I would say it was, it delayed my development as a person because here I was at 26, academically gifted, uh, career-wise, I sort of had that pick of jobs. I was constantly getting recruited. I was internally in turmoil hmm. and lost and thinking, I would like to get married. I know I'll get married one day. I was pretty confident about that, but I was like, I don't know if kids are in the cards for me because my experience of watching my parents raise kids was so tough and uncomfortable. I don't want to go through that. I don't want to put anyone through what I went through. And the gift of all that was, it never came to pass. And my mom and I, and my dad now have this, my mom and I were always super close. My dad more as we got older, but my mom to say, when I got married and then got pregnant, I will tell you like what happened when I got pregnant, Jackie, I cried because I was scared out of my mind. All I can think of is watching how miserable my mother was. And I was like, I don't want that to be me. If we were still early in our marriage, we'd been married a couple of years and I knew that I wanted a family. I desperately did, but I wanted to be so much more economically and financially secure than my parents ever were. And it was increasingly getting harder, even though we were more successful. It just money didn't go as far as when our parents were raising kids. So just all of those things came into play where you're like, am I ever going to get ahead? I'm working night and day. I'm super educated. And I feel like I can't even get a house. Like it was a house was a million dollars. And I'm like, I'm 33 years old. I don't have a million dollars. I don't have access to that kind of money. And that's what it was here. And it just got harder and harder and harder. And, you know, people are like, why don't you leave DC? And then I was like, how could I leave DC? <laughs> All these things of like security was the, you know, what I focused on. That's it. So, it, that was it, your number one need. That was my number one need. Okay. And it wasn't Matt. My parents were fantastic about pushing and encouraging me to achieve, but not about if something bad happens, we're here for you. Or don't worry about bad things happening. You're not, nothing bad's going to happen. The world is not a scary place. Actually, the universe is a benevolent place. Like, you know, the shoe, the other shoe isn't going to drop. Like, that's just wow. a thing people say. And so I... I fed into all of the fears, so did my sister and so did my brother to some extent, but like, as we got older and that's the beauty of getting older, you start to like push back on the things that you always had as your mainstay. My husband is from Peru. Um, we grew up very differently, but kind of funny enough, our different backgrounds weren't so different. Mm. Um, his dad was here for eight years, separated from his, um, family. And they were back during the years of 
you know, it was bad inflation and he had to leave to come here to work for the company he worked for there because they filled up shop and, you know, economically the country was in turmoil. But when he was reunited, um, you know, they restarted their whole lives here and he was going to college while I was in school. So anyway, we ended up meeting through mutual friends and we realized despite these very different journeys from different parts of the world, we had a lot of common things. We had a lot of commonalities and he became the yin to my yang and we are very different i'm the very extroverted he's much more introverted um, but he's the grounding force of my life like he's like you're the one who's the visionary and has all these big ideas but he's the one that can execute them if it wasn't for him i wouldn't get out for space most days like i'm the big picture big sky and let's think about this and i want to go do that and i think about this and he's like okay nuts and bolts let's write it down what do you need um, you know, I wouldn't have a microphone if it weren't for him because I was like, there are 5,000 million different microphones. What do I buy? And he's like, okay, I've researched the top two of these. We're going to get these, that kind of thing. And even with having our son, I remember going, I wanted to be so different than where, when I grew up. And he said, it will be because it's you. It's not your mom. It's not your dad. It's you. And you're literally twice as old as your mother. I was 36 at the end. My I was more than twice as old. My mother was 16, yeah. you know? So, you know, I was at a completely different stage, much more stable, educated, knew who I was in a much better way. And one of the reasons why I ended up into the career I'm in in public relations is I love to public speak and I love to write. And so um, not surprisingly, since you know a little bit more about my background, uh, happiness and joy became really important topics. Like what drives um, that? And how do you, how do you manifest that for yourself? How is the inside job work? Because I had already spent my youth looking for the external validations and achievements to provide that happiness. And those were only momentary, you know, those moments of happiness, they didn't really generate joy or fulfillment. So here I was in my adulthood going, I know that the case is I have to do it myself and I have to be working on this, but it is really vitally important to be happy and to look at what are those things that bring you joy, whether it's spending time going for a walk, meeting a friend for coffee, writing in your journal, going on a trip, spending time with your dog, watching a Hallmark movie, whatever those things are, do them. This has been really good. I mean, this is a thrill. So we're having this conversation because I desire to encourage other women, but I am coming away very encouraged. I, I'm so glad you're doing this, Jackie. It's such an important conversation. And, and, and it's one where I am very blessed that I'm in an active community of women where we are having this conversation. I know not everybody has that. So to create a space for people to tune in and listen and become inspired and maybe take those first few steps of recognizing life that it's going to be okay. Yes. You're going to be okay. It's going to be hard. Look, I'm preparing. I know it's still going to be hard, but I'm ready. I'm going to go through the morning. I know it's not going to be absent of that, but you're going to walk through it. And the good thing is if you connect with other women like you, like me that get this, mm -hmm. and so many of us are going through it, you can walk through it with friends. Yep. You don't have to go through it alone. So if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, I would appreciate if you would share it. This is not about because Michelle or myself are looking for fans or followers, but because we do want to 
have this positive ripple effect. We want to share this message. We want you to have an, a community. This can be an extension of a community online or on the podcast, listening to us, sharing with your girlfriends, gathering it around, sharing it because you're all going through the same thing. So share it. I just hope that whatever you walk away with, you walk away from today knowing that it's okay for you to say yes to yourself. You can give yourself permission, say yes to your heart, find out what brings you joy and what makes you happy. Thanks for being here. I look forward to seeing you on the next Midlife Dream Life podcast.